Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about lawn and pasture spraying. As always, though, we're happy to discuss anything that's going on in your farm or answer any questions you may have. If you want to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So, my brother Darren's uh, been a little bit under the weather here the last few days, but he is calling in. So, um, Darren, we're talking about lawn and pasture spraying a little bit today. You got any just general tips for people as we start the show off? Well, when it comes to lawn and pasture, the biggest place where people are falling down is not pulling a soil sample. And I'm amazed how many people I talk to that say, hey, what should I do for my fertility program in a lawn or in a pasture? And I ask for a soil sample and they say, well, I don't have one. I've never pulled one out there. And that's that's a big thing. So I would say pull a complete soil test. It only costs 10 bucks a test. It's not super expensive. And then do it like you do in your crop field. So if you've got a lawn and it's a thousand square feet, one sample is fine. But if you've got a pasture and it's 500 acres, you better pull a few samples out there to, to kind of know what, what's going on. Because I'm certain that the fertility is not the same across the whole thing. So start with that. And if you can fertilize well, so your grass grows really well, whether it's a lawn or a pasture, you choke out weeds and you stop a lot of those problems. And of course, it increases your stocking rate that you can have out in pastures too, and it makes you lots of money. But there, there's just a lot of problems that come when fertility's poor in pastures and lawns. Yeah, we get a lot of those general questions. Like you said, people haven't pulled soil tests. I think it was yesterday we were talking about this just a little bit on the show. We commonly see the leachables are short. So leachable nutrients would be things like nitrate, sulfate, boron. But then in addition to that, quite commonly there's a lack of calcium out there and so Darren and I we were just involved with a number of research guys here doing a meeting today and just kind of talking about some things back and forth and and one thing that got brought up kind of off to the side was just about some soil sampling that's happening right now well if a person has good levels of calcium in the soil the soil's more porous and the soil is easier to soil sample it's not as hard when you have good levels of calcium so sometimes just being out in a pasture or in a lawn we can tell almost right away man this ground is hard as a rock um how how are we doing on calcium here so that's certainly something to test too so the reason why i'm bringing all that up is when you do run a test please get a complete soil test don't just look at N, P, and K. There are a lot of labs that, and it's fine if you want to test that way, there are a lot of labs that will allow you to just get results for N, P, and K. But you noticed I already brought up sulfur, I brought up boron, I brought up calcium, and there could be other nutrients you may be short on as well. Okay, let's let's shift gears and talk about weed control real quick. Darren, in my opinion, I think Freelex is one of the greatest herbicides that's ever come out in history because it's basically replaced the old 2,4-D because personally I've killed a lot of stuff with old 2,4-D that I wasn't trying to kill because it moved all over the place and the Freelix doesn't do that. Yeah, I love that. It's it's everything 2,4-D was supposed to be where you've got broad spectrum weed control yep. without all the off-target movement. It's worth the money. It's 
it costs a little bit more than the other 240s normally, but it's not that much, and it is so, so worth it. And then I, I think that's a great start. And then out in pastures, you just gotta, it's rate sensitive. So if we're going to spray a 2,4-D or really any product out there, make sure you're using the rate for the weeds that you've got. If you've got a perennial weed or a biennial weed that's big, that has a tremendous root system, you're not going to get by with a quart of 2,4-D. It's going to take two quarts. And you've got to get out there timely, too. As we're talking about this in the fall, and the reason we're talking about this in September, is it's still warm. So we're going to get good control on weeds. If we wait too long and we get a hard-killing frost, then it really changes things on those perennial and biennial weeds, and it's a lot tougher to get them under control. Yeah, so I've heard over the years a lot of people say, well, fall is the best time to kill my perennial weeds. Well, it all depends on what your definition of fall is. Technically, fall is September 21 to December 21. Well, if you're spraying in December or November around here, you're wasting your money for the most part. You got to get that spraying done before the first frost. So, but but again, every area is a little bit different. So we have people listening today from Canada down to Florida, for example. Okay, so it's completely different in those areas. And all we're saying here is just if you're going to be out spraying in the fall, try to as much as you can get that done prior to a big frost. And I'd also say when we talk about pastures, yeah, it is a lot different than lawns. In lawns, we're very limited on the spectrum of products we can use because there are a lot of other plants around that we want to keep. Well, out in pastures, our choice is very often open, wide open. So when I think about Tordon, for example, I love that for killing a lot of brush, uh, any volunteer trees. It's excellent and the best thing on leafy spurge. But then there's milestone that's fantastic on thistles. We've got chaparral that's got milestone and ally in there, the active ingredients from those products. That's great on uh, more brush species than just Tordon would be. So, and there's new Duracor. There, there's a lot of stuff when it comes to pasture spraying. Darren, um, anything I left out there on the pastures or anything that let's say is maybe your favorite in, out in pastures just for general weeds? Well, I, I think the other thing to, to think about is just, again, I mentioned the fertility and how, how key that is to weed control. Don't overgraze things. And I know we've yeah. got some areas that are really dry this year. Uh, even if you're thinking about your lawn and you're thinking about that last time you're coming through with your lawnmower, cut it a little high. Uh, give, give your grass some protection or your grass in the pasture some protection as well so you don't have uh, injury from the winter and you don't leave an opening for weeds to come through. Yep, it's just like we say out in crop fields, crop canopy is the very best weed killer there is. All right, so today on the show, we're talking about lawn and pasture spraying. Again, we'd be happy to take your phone call as well, 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us a question if you want to by email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show, but we'll talk lawn and pasture spraying next on Ag PhD Radio. It takes balance to be successful in farming. Because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeal Pro Miticide from Valent USA. 
With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're talking just a little bit about lawn and pasture spraying. And again, if you've got any questions about that or anything else that's going on on your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, so first in the show, we are pleased to be joined by Lauren Mulder. He is down in Texas with Innovative Turf Supply and Enviro Granulation. Lauren, how are you today? I'm doing good, Brian. Excellent. All right. So obviously Texas is a lot different than South Dakota. So just talk to us, if you would, real quick about some of the weeds you're after when it comes to lawn and pastures and how you're getting those under control. Right now, uh, most of the state's been in a drought. Uh, a majority of the state has gotten a little bit of slight reprieve with some recent rains. But what that really truly means is that all of our fall and winter weed seeds are now been primed with a drink of water. Yep. So they're all ready to either germinate or they are germinating. So if you have not got a pre-emerge down, now is the time to get it out. And with homeowners lawns across the South, there's a wonderful granular product that is a true weed and feed. It will give you fall fertilization. It'll give you the best pre-emerge as far as the longest residual we have available to give you truly six months of control. And then they've combined that with dicamba and um, material um, that will control sedges off of that granule as well. So from a homeowner standpoint, that is by far the best material to get out. If you don't want to spread, now's the time to get the sprayer cleaned out and get it out there, whether you've got a backpack or a little uh, one gallon or two gallon pump up sprayer and on pastures, you definitely need to be spraying unless you uh, want to have a good winter weed crop. Uh, let's go back to that pre that you were talking about. You mentioned putting it with dicamba. So what active ingredients are we talking about there? What product are we talking about? So it's gotten Dazaflam, uh, which in the turf market is called Spectacle, and then it has dicamba on the granule with it, and then it has another active uh, called Lockup. And I honestly cannot recall the active right off the top of my head at the moment. Um, no problem. 
but those three are all put together on, I think it's a 3505 or 3503 carrier uh, that's half slow-release nitrogen. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. So you're trying to accomplish two things at once there. Like you mentioned, weed and feed. A lot of people are certainly interested in that. And you, you mentioned sedge, but what would be the other couple of weeds that you're especially after usually in your area? This year has been a tremendous year for spotted or prostrate spurge across the uh, majority of the South. It just seems to be rampant everywhere I go. And the dicamba in particular is really going to do a good job on that. And the nice thing about this these, this newer generation of weed and feed is that uh, we're moving away from using atrazine and we're not using 2,4-D on a granular carrier, which if you understand how 2,4-D works, it needs to go in through the leaf. It can't, it's not active through the root, where dicamba is active through the root. So from that standpoint, we're, the guys that put this together are definitely making better choices from what they're intentionally putting on there to perform well uh, for you. Sure. Uh all right, so changing gears from the weed side, how about on the fertility end of things? What are the main things that you're usually talking to people about, whether it's a lawn or pasture? Yeah, honestly, down here in the south, uh, it is still early in September. We've just got a lot of growing season to go. Yeah. Uh, so it is still important to keep your turf or your pasture well-fed, depending on whether you're grazing animals, cutting hay, or you just want to have a nice-looking landscape. So whether you put out a weed and feed or not, uh, you do need to fertilize to help that plant go into dormancy healthy and, if you will, with a full belly so it has energy to green up nice and quick in the spring and uniformly and get off to a good start because really the best spring fertilizer is now uh, putting that plant to, to bed with the proper fertility so that it is ready to go in the spring. Trying to force it in the spring when it's gone to bed hungry uh, is an uphill battle. Do you find, though, that most people don't think about it until spring, and that's and maybe that's the reason why you're bringing this up today is because you're trying to encourage more people to at least be thinking about it today and get it done now? Absolutely, and it doesn't matter whether you want to be conventional or organic. Pick your favorite fertilizer and get it out. Get it out at a good rate, and you will be much happier with the results on how everything looks, whether it's your pasture getting off to an early start or your yard greening up earlier than the neighbors, that foundation is built now in the next couple of months, not in February or March. You mentioned the organic side. What do you talk to people about there on the fertility end? Is it compost or, or, or what do they do? Honestly, uh, when I'm talking to friends or neighbors, I literally tell them to buy the most ex- expensive organic fertilizer they can buy because fertilizer is a commodity and the more expensive the fertilizer typically the better built it is and they will typically have components that may not be as fragrant as some of the cheaper materials not Mm -hmm. that those are inferior but if you're going to get a complaint uh, from organics it's usually odor related so if you move away from some of the litter materials to higher protein meals like alfalfa meal or soy meal or corn glute meal or any of those meals, uh, they tend to have less odor than the litter-based materials or the um, sewage sludges, sludges, sorry. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so we we got just a few minutes left here, Lauren. What other tips, just in general, do you have for people when they're trying to make their lawn better or they're trying to make their pasture better? 
you know, for lawns, if you have not checked all of your irrigation heads and your cycle in your system, please do so at least once a year. Whether ideally it's in the spring, right now uh, in Texas we're in a drought. Hopefully you've already checked that, but making sure your irrigation is running the way you think it should and getting the coverage you expect, and you don't have any leaks or broken heads that are uh, causing some disruption or increasing your water bill on pastures. If you keep the weeds under control, the yield's going to be better. If it's not irrigated, you know, try and time your fertilizer applications to hopefully uh, a rainfall event. And if you've got irrigation, you're way ahead of the game and you have much more control on watering in your fertility as you put it out or even putting it out through the line with uh, injection. How about insects? Around the house, I mean, or in a, in a lawn, what do you have people doing there if they have bugs? Uh, honestly, uh, it's kind of old school, but I like granular sulfur. Uh, typically, uh, across most of Texas, we're in alkaline soil, so the sulfur will usually give us a greening response. Um, but years and years ago, we used to use sulfur to control a lot of insects and even some diseases. But mm-hmm. even a granular sulfur without is easier to handle and it's not as messy as a dusting sulfur, it will still chase a lot of the insects away, um, like triggers and fleas and ticks that uh, within an application, a few days of an application watering it in, typically you won't see near as many of the uh, pests. You'll still see the beneficials. Um, They don't seem to be chased away, but the ones that uh, aggravate us tend to be uh, not a problem. How often would you suggest a person does that? Once a month? Every couple months? I would say every few months, maybe two or three times a year if it's really bad. Uh, I know for my own yard, it's maybe twice a year is all it takes. to, And we've got pets, so they're obviously a chance to have fleas or ticks coming into the yard. Uh, we've got bunnies all over the neighborhood. They'll carry pets in and out. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it seems like... Two applications is enough to keep everything at bay, and we're good to go. And we have plenty of flowers that the dragonflies and butterflies and all the pollinators like, and it does not affect them whatsoever. And you suggest a granular sulfur rather than something like ammonium sulfate, for example. Yes. uh, We need that high-content sulfur, like a 90% uh, dispersible sulfur. Uh, I know uh, Neil Kinsey likes Tiger 90. That's a brand he's familiar with over the years, but they're Mm -hmm several others out there like Martins and whatnot, depending what's available locally. Um, but it seems to do the trick. And again, it's, it's a very old, old method. Um, you talk to some old timers, they'll tell you about dusting their pants, uh, with sulfur before they got in the field, yep. uh, to check for, uh, bugs or weeds, or they're going hunting and they just don't want any chance of getting dick, uh, ticks, uh, oh, yeah. inside their pant leg or anything like that. So, yep. Uh, All right. Hey, uh, great tips. Yep, great tips, Lauren. Again, we've been speaking with Lauren Mulder. He's with Innovative Turf Supply and Enviro Granulation down in Texas. Lauren, thanks for the time today. Always great stuff. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. 
Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Right before the break, we were talking with Lauren Mulder, and he mentioned a lawn weed and feed, and we had Randy send us an email saying, what what product was he talking about there? He was talking about a combination of dicamba. Uh, it said, he said spectacle and lockup. So dicamba, spectacle, and lockup, along with some fertilizer. And then another Randy, uh, this one from Missouri, sent us an email saying, hey, um, if you're going to put that on, make sure you don't put it on a cool season turf grass. It could kill it. So one of the one of the challenges always when we're doing our, our show here is we start talking about, well, just for example, lawns, um, what you're going to have for a lawn grass in Texas going to be a lot different than what you're going to have for lawn grass in South Dakota or Ontario, Canada, for example. So I, I just say be careful and make sure that whatever you're doing is actually labeled. Talk to an agronomist, that kind of thing. We're just trying to give you some general tips here. And uh, with that, next on the show, we've got Dwight Lingenfelter on with us. He's from Penn State University. Dwight, how are things going for you today? Doing well, Brian. Thanks. 
All right. Good to be here again. All right. So we're talking lawn and pasture spraying. I assume you're getting some questions about lawn and pasture spraying right now from people out in your geography. Uh, what What are those conversations going like? Yeah, I mean, most of the time, I I don't I don't really deal with lawns, but I can answer some of the pasture questions. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, mo- most of the questions we're getting right now are all about uh, you know perennial weeds and, and and things to consider. You know, this time of year. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of, of, uh, of you know, things like milkweed and dogbane and, and Canada thistle, horse nettle. We get a lot of questions about those. So, you know, just, just figuring out ways to have them, you know, use an integrated approach in order to uh, manage those weeds throughout the season and not just try to, you know, put one kind of silver bullet here at the end of the, end of the summer, early fall. So uh, we try to make sure we talk about, you know, maintaining the pasture throughout the year in terms of, you know, good good mowing, a couple, two or three mowings throughout the season, um, not overgrazing the pasture, um, and then setting it up appropriately to get get a, get a herbicide into it uh, this time of year, so right before dormancy to take the herbicide, the systemic herbicide down into the root system for a better kill. Now, Dwight, I, I found it interesting. The very first perennial you mentioned was milkweed, and we've done that as a Weed of the Week on our TV show a few times. And it used to be no big deal 20 years ago. I never had any complaints about that. Well, now, every time we do milkweed, I get 50 emails from people saying, well, you have to leave the milkweed for the butterflies. So, I I, I mean, seriously, though, this is a conversation that I don't think a lot of people who don't have a pasture or a farm uh, realize if we have milkweed out there, it's hurting our grass production. It's hurting our income. So can you talk to us about that? Just how you balance that, the control thing versus the people that want us to leave the weeds out in the field? Yeah, I mean, you're right. That's a good question. And and, and I, I get similar comments too. You know, you have this, this uh, you know, the, the people that want to maintain it, I understand that, you know, for the you know, butterflies and other other insect uh, aspects, but but you're right. Once it's in a pasture setting, you know, or, or even a field crop setting, it, it it can it can be you know pretty pretty aggressive and 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 uh, you know and, you know as far as yield standpoint, you know, cause problems. So, I mean, what what I typically recommend is you know since since you know most of the herbicides that we deal with, you know, things like the 2,4-D or dicamba or crossbow type products, really only give us about maybe 60 65 percent. That's where, you know, an, uh, an approach where thinking about maintaining it or managing it throughout the season um, with, with mowing um, and, then, and then hitting it in the fall and realizing that it, it's, it's taken several years to get to, that, that prob- to, the, to the problem where it is right now, that it's going to take a few years or more to get it under control. So I think it's just more of a long-term approach um, when, you're, when you're thinking about a weed such as milkweed. Um, so it, it, it's a challenge. You mentioned herbicide before frost and using a systemic product to get down in the roots. What products are typically getting used in pastures that would have that systemic activity out in your state? Uh, as far as systemic products that are commonly used, I'd say probably about 80 to 90 percent of the time when I recommend a, a herbicide, you know, for most of our weeds, it, it's probably about a quarter of 2,4-D when, when combined with a, about a pint of dicamba. And then, and then the rest of the time, it's typically some kind of a crossbow um, or triclopyr-containing product, whether it be a crossbow or a crossroads or some other type of generic or something like a pasture guard. So something that has triclopyr in it. And, and generally what I recommend, something like crossbow, it has to be at a pretty high rate. So at least three quarts, if not, not more, um, in order to go after a weed such as milkweed. So, so it's one of those where 
you know, to get the activity you need, it has to be at uh, the right rate and then also, as you mentioned, right time to get, get the systemic activity down into the root system. So two products I had mentioned earlier were Milestone for thistles, Tordon for leafy spurge. Those are our two biggest weeds we have out here. But it doesn't sound like you, you have many people using those products out there. Are there concerns with other species or anything like that? I mean, do you have concerns with Milestone and Tordon why you wouldn't spray them? Yeah, so so the biggest, you know, so the mi- Milestone or Grazon Next or anything that contains aminopyrrolid, mm-hmm. um, we, I, I typically don't don't recommend that here because a lot, of, a lot of our either pastures are, are mowed at least once for hay, or if they're in a haying situation, then there, there's issues with, with the herbicide residue being in the hay. Um, and then also if there's any type of manure that's used uh, or that, that, that is, is you yep. know, taken out and then spread in on pastures or other, other susceptible areas. So r- rarely do I recommend uh, an amino pyrrolid or milestone type product unless I know it's in a permanent pasture. Yeah. And then, and then Tordon or Picloram products, I... We don't even have that really labeled here in, in Pennsylvania, um, so I, I just don't don't recommend that that, that uh, rarely at all. All right, what other things come up when you're talking to people about pastures out in Pennsylvania? Um, you know, we're getting more and more questions about uh, annual grasses, so we're getting yeah. a lot of questions about uh, uh, crabgrass, large crabgrass, yellow foxtail. Um, another one that's really starting to take over our region is uh, Japanese stiltgrass. And it's just it's just very hard to get a get a grass out of a grass. Right. Um, so, so, you know, we, we typically do recommend you know things like Prowl H2O or Satellite Hydrocap, you know, in the early spring, and then follow it up again with a split application later in the year. Um, and and that that does a, a pretty good job. Um, but really having a true foliar product, Facet does have a label, but that's really only limited to a few few grassy weed species, and, and it really has to be on when it's before the, the weeds get you know about an inch to two inches tall. So it, it's challenging. We, we have a hard time um, controlling grasses post-emergence. How about um, plateau? And, and, uh, and, does plateau uh, work? Plateau, yes. It, it, it does have, it, it, if you look at the label, it's kind of a, a quasi-label, if you will. There's certain species, you know, cool season right. are labeled on there, but, but there can be some injury. Um, I've yep. done some work with plateau. Um, in, you know, orchard grass does do a pretty good; it tolerates it pretty well. But something like Timothy does not. Yeah. And then some of the brome species do not as well. So you have to be very careful with uh, a product like plateau. All right. When you and talk, then, and then also even, I was going to say also even you know if you look at the the pursuit label, um, you know, th- there's obviously the alfalfa grass mixes um, that, that that are are, are labeled on, on the pursuit label, but there again, you know. It, it, as far as the the percentage of legume versus grass in your mix, you know, can vary. You know, you can get get a little bit of, of an injury from the pursuit as well. Right. So that that would have some activity on these these weedy grasses, but but again, I think you kind of have to have a pretty liberal interpretation of the label in that case. I've only got about thirty seconds left here, Dwight. But with control for control of these annual grasses, then is your best bet just to fertilize the pasture well and not overgraze? Yeah, that's that's probably one of the better bets. You know, let, let the crop competition, you know, really really uh, help with uh, weed management, and then and then yeah, as I mentioned before, you, we have some pre-emergence herbicides um, like 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 pendimethalin, prowl, and satellite that can can have some activity as long as you get them on before the the weeds start to germinate in in the spring. All right, very interesting stuff. Dwight Lingenfelter with Penn State University. Dwight, thanks a lot for the time again today. We always love having you on the show. 
You're welcome. Thanks, Brian. Take care. We'll see you. Yep. See you. Yeah. Like I keep saying, every area is a little bit different. Like out there, no milestone in Doordon to speak of. Here in South Dakota, those are the top two products in pastures. So just interesting. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk just a little bit more about lawn and pasture spraying. Then we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. And if you'd like to call into the show, you certainly can. 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. If we only had 20 words to talk about Ag Biome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get maximum seed to soil contact and maximum germination with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Plus, with 10% off while supplies last, you can fully upgrade your planter for less. Just go to farmshopmfg.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, joined again by my brother Darren. 
We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio, just talking a little about lawn and pasture spraying. So to wrap that up, I'll just tell you with lawn spraying, one of the big things we recommend is getting applications done in the fall prior to the first big frost that you've got. So like in our area, we're talking right now. And that's the reason why we've got this as a topic today, because now is a fantastic time to kill weeds in the lawn and, quite frankly, in the pasture in our area that we have right here. In lawns, I do love Freelex. It's the new 2,4-D that doesn't volatilize. It's been fantastic. Just make sure you're using a high enough rate. In pastures, really depends on where you're at, the weeds that you're after, and that kind of thing. There are a lot of pasture herbicides that are labeled. Personally, um, I really like the new Duracore. That's really good. But I mean, there are just, there are so many choices. We, we I also do like Freelex in pastures in certain situations. If you are really concerned about drift and volatility, just use Freelex and you're in good shape. But yeah, lots of choices there. Um, in terms of anything else that would go out at this time of year, I, I would say now's a great time to fertilize lawns. Now is actually not a bad time to fertilize pastures too, if you want to. Just like Lauren Mulder was saying earlier in the show, just getting that crop, and by crop I'm talking grass, getting that grass set up so it can go through the winter and have better winter survivability and get off to a better start in the spring, that's often really, really beneficial. Darren, anything else you got on lawn and pasture spraying? No, I... No, I just think, you know, now is such a good time on these biennials and perennials that uh, it's worth it to take a day when you get the weather that's just right and the wind in the right direction or or non-existent to get these things done because it's the best shot you've got between now and next May. All right, then let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, I think it was just yesterday, and we were answering the question, uh, answering a question from Jordan, who had sent in some soy, or actually some tissue tests, and he had high sodium levels there, and was wondering why. Well, he sent us a response because our answer was manure, and most likely there's just gotten to be too much salt and sodium out there, and that's why we're having a problem. And he says, hey, guys, thank you. I listened to your answer. I believe it could be manure, too. And we do rotate our manure in fields. So a field gets manure every other year in the fall. And we use either a high-speed disc five inches deep or a dominator about 10 inches deep and spring field cultivator two inches deep. My hog barn salt levels are 1,000 grams uh, or, sorry, 1,000 per 1,000 gallons, about 103 to 115 pounds of salt. Per thousand gallons, and he says we apply about thirty-five hundred to four thousand gallons in the fall. So, yeah, Jordan, I'm not saying that you're necessarily overdoing it there, but it could be spots in fields, it could be where poor drain, there's poor drainage, something like that. So, I'd really like to see some soil tests, and let's just try to figure out what's happening in that field before you run into some of these problems again next year. What we try to do, just so you know, on our own farm, we're soil sampling immediately after the field gets cut for silage or right after we combine, and then we take a look at it and make our decision after that in terms of, well, how much manure do we want to put on? 
how much commercial fertilizer do we want to put on? And we go from there. But yeah, obviously when your sodium levels are exploding in the plant, like they were in your tissue tests, that is a little bit concerning. Now, just because it, it said on the tissue test the levels are excessive, that does not necessarily mean that you're going to have a major yield loss. So again, I'd like to see the soil tests and then just kind of monitor this stuff as you're going through here this fall and see if you do think it is impacting yield. We have shown in the past on our own farm when we've put on some higher levels of manure and done comparisons that the higher levels of manure meant less yield the next year. And that's not what any of us want is less yield. And I get it. Well, you know, for a lot of people out there, we have manure that we've got to get rid of. But if we're having a negative impact on yield, that's not a good thing. So one of the things that we do talk about quite often, if our levels start to get high in the soil, is putting the manure down even deeper. And some people get worried about that. And I'm like, no, I'm not worried about that at all. The biggest concern with manure and putting a lot on anymore seems to be phosphorus for a lot of people. They're worried about the runoff. Well, it's phosphorus doesn't leach. So I'm not, I mean, unless you had a ridiculous amount on. So I'm not worried about that at all. And as far as the nitrogen goes, if let's say you put the manure down eight inches or 10 inches or 12 inches deep, believe me, your roots are going to get down there really fast in the spring. They're going to start bringing some of that nitrogen right back up. And you can also use a cover crop, worst case scenario, to tie up any nitrogen in the short term. Darren, any other comments on that? No, I think you covered the bases pretty well. But the other thing, I just was talking to a farmer this morning. He said, what I worry about about putting that fertility down that much deeper is I've heard before that my crops can't take full advantage of that. And quite frankly, that's simply not true. When we look at what we've done with strip-till, putting it deep, manure applications, putting them deep, if we've got oxygen down there, we're going to have tremendous root hair growth because there's lots of oxygen for the bugs. Yep. There's lots of fertility down there for the roots to take in, and, and it just works so good to have deep fertility. All right, next question comes in from Rodney. He says, we will be planting winter wheat in the next few weeks in northeast Illinois. We're going to be planting with a twin row planter that has the capability of inferral liquid at the rate of five gallons per acre. Would you have a recommendation of a, a liquid starter fertilizer for wheat? I will already be putting down dry potash at 100 pounds and 50 pounds of DAP per acre, then coming back in the spring with 100 pounds of 32% with, or yeah, it says 100 pounds of 32% with some, so so I assume that must mean uh, actual N, uh, with some sulfur. Any help would be appreciated. Well, Rodney, I, I mean, without seeing your soil tests, I can't tell you oh, this is for sure what I would use. But I would say if you want to put on some liquid in furrow in wheat, especially when you're talking twin rows, it it doesn't amount to that much fertilizer uh, that's getting near any seed. And wheat's usually pretty good anyway in terms of tolerance. Nevertheless, I'd still use a low salt product. And I would probably, without knowing anything else, use some kind of blended product that might have a tiny little bit of nitrogen in there, a fair amount of phosphorus, a little bit of potassium. But you could also do a micronutrient blend. We often do that on our own farm. We'll throw, let's say, a quart of a micronutrient blend out there. So I'd probably at least be considering that, especially since you don't have micronutrients anywhere else in your program, it looks like. That that would be one of my thoughts. If nothing else, I'm going to get a quart of micros out there and then add some other stuff from there. 
Darren, anything else you want to add to that one? Yeah, absolutely. On the seed, I would either put cereal NS, which is a dry formulation that also has some talc, or if you're going to do a liquid solution, I would do NutriCycle and Heat Shield. That's a couple different natural products. We've just seen such good gains on those and so much better winter survival as well. Uh, that that's a In my mind, it's a no-brainer where we're at. I'd certainly give it a try where you are. So in addition to fertilizer, Darren's talking about using some naturals or biologicals, and yes, I absolutely agree. All right, next one comes from Brian, who says, Hi, guys, I am intending to strip-till P and K six to seven inches deep this fall. I got 4% base saturation K. Uh, but my K levels were only 165 parts per million tested last fall. My canine exchange capacity is 8 to 15 in the soil. I'm going to be fertilizing for 250 bushel corn. So I've got a couple of questions. Is there a maximum amount of potash you'd put on because of all that salt that there is in the potash? And then the other question is, to conserve some fertilizer dollars, would you ever place 65 to 75% of variable rate recommendations in the strip and then assume efficiency of uptake would make up the difference versus broadcasting. So, Brian, we're going to answer this question right after this short break here. I, I would say, it, just as a general statement, these are commonly asked questions we get about strip-till. We do a fair amount of strip-till on our farm. Got lots of experience for the last 20 years, so we'll just talk about some of the things we've seen to answer your question specifically. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, 
We discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag here in the Morton studio. We got a question from Brian, and I started this right before the break. He just said, hey, I'm going to put some P&K out strip till. And my question is, is there a maximum amount of 0060 you'd put out there based on salt in the fertilizer? So he was talking about putting, let's say, a couple hundred pounds of potash out I'm perfectly fine with that, and especially when we're six to seven inches deep. Now, granted, it's not super heavy soil or anything, but when you put things out in the fall, it helps you so much. So there's soil, number one, between your seed and your fertilizer. But then the other thing is you have the benefit of time. So it's going to help reduce that that overall salt load. But yeah, we've gone with some pretty high rates, 300, 400 pounds of potash out there, never had any problem. I'm not super worried about that, especially when done in the fall. His other question was to conserve some fertilizer dollars, would you ever place some of the fertility, like let's call it two-thirds of the fertility in the, of what's recommended in the strip, and then just assume that, hey, we're going to have such good uptake that we don't need to put any more on. Um, oh, and he says here this is rented ground, so he's not against building the soil, but he's looking at options just like everybody else is with high fertilizer prices. Number one thing I'm going to say, Brian, don't cut stuff that's making you money. Number two is without looking fully at your soil tests, it's a little hard for me to say what's going to make you money and what's not. But I'm very concerned when you tell me you only have 165 parts per million of of K out there. It's not terrible, but it's also not fantastically great. We have a lot of stuff on our farm that's 500 to 900 parts per million of, of, pot at, or of K. Well, if I have that, then sure, by all means, I'm fine if you want to start mining a little bit of that out of the soil. But when you talk about putting on the two-thirds of what's recommended, I don't know what what the recommendation is exactly. But if you're simply, if the recommendation is simply to put out what 250 bushel corn would remove, because you say you're going for 250 bushel corn, I would tell you that 250 bushel corn is actually going to take what the grain removal thing says. It needs a lot of fertility and a lot of K. In fact, I'll pull that up real quick on our Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. And by the way, if you don't have this app, it's just a free app, free download. We developed this a few years ago because, quite frankly, we have this question almost every day, like, um, how much fertilizer do I actually need for my yield goal? Well, with the calculator, super nice and easy. For K2O potassium, a 250 bushel corn crop needs 337 pounds. That's all 
the fertility. I mean, like a hun- over 100% of the fertility you have in your soil right now. Well, you know darn well that your roots can't even come close to finding 100% of the fertility that's in the soil. They might be lucky to find 20%. So, I, I, I mean, you're not, your soil test level, at least on K, and granted, that's the only information I have here, but your soil test level on K it does not tell me that I can cut back just because I put it in the strip and granted you're going to use that it's going to be very efficient and I I get all that but you don't have enough in that soil to mine out so nope I would not do anything lower than that a couple quick ones here Terry just said hey guys I emailed you back in July with a potassium question I just haven't heard anything back Terry, I just found your stuff on email. I thought we answered your question once, but we're going to reprint that, and and hopefully we'll get that answered for you tomorrow. Um, then I get another question here uh, on how do we calculate pesticide dosage per acre? So I'd just say if you've got specific, if for anyone that has specific questions about a herbicide, ask us, because there are labeled rates, and it does vary depending on the area. It was interesting, just like Dwight Lingenfelter was talking about today, we use Tordon, a lot of Tordon here in our state. Well, he doesn't even have that as an option. It's not even labeled right in his area. So we have to be really careful about the pesticides that we're using, where they're labeled, the crop we're using them on, and, and that kind of thing. So that that's really the number one thing we're looking at there. So anyway, if you if for any of our listeners, if you ever have a specific question on a product and an area and a rate, uh, please ask us. We appreciate those. Uh, next one comes from Catherine. She says, "What's oh, and and by the way, we were talking about uh, about just using atrazine in general on our Ag PhD TV show." And she sent us a comment and question here. She said, "What's wrong with a few weeds if humans do not have to deal with possible future medical conditions? I'm not happy with all the Roundup layer ads. Please consider the whole situation." Catherine, believe me, we do consider the whole situation. Keep in mind that, like for us, I I mean, I live on a farm. I'm surrounded by fields. The last thing I want to do is do anything that would hurt me or my kids. I'm not doing that. And with everything in life, keep in mind, everything in life can kill you. The dose always makes the poison. I'm I'm sitting here drinking some water right now, or I was during our break. Water even can kill you if you drink too much too fast so with when when you talk about poisons remember that everything is a poison literally everything is a poison because there is a lethal dose for everything so i'm not trying to make light of this or of your question or anything else please understand that we take it very 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 seriously more seriously than i i will guarantee you more seriously than anyone who is not a farmer because we are the ones as farmers who have to deal with these products, who have to live around these products. I drank well water most of my life. I mean, we're doing everything we can to not only learn about these products, but to use them safely and carefully. I mean, when you talk about something like Roundup, it's unbelievably safe. So don't listen to all the nonsense that you hear out, I mean, in the media. Roundup's incredibly safe. Nevertheless, anyone who's spraying that on the farm is using personal protective equipment. We use sprayers that have triple filtration in the cabs. I mean, we are doing what we can to keep ourselves and our families as safe as possible, and certainly the food supply. But when you talk about uh, what's wrong with a few weeds, well, what's wrong with a few weeds is it literally could bankrupt us as farmers. If we do not kill those weeds, we do not have a crop and we don't have income 
and pretty soon we're out of business. So we we have to supply food for the world as well. And if we don't, if all that's out there is weeds, well, come to the farm sometime and I will show you a weedy mess and you don't have much for food. So that's the real problem with all that. Darren, any any other comments on that? No, I think you covered that pretty well. All right. Uh, I got three more here before we wrap up the show. Dandelions. It was a weed of the week recently, and I didn't get the name of the spray you said to use. Today, you guys were talking. This is from Sandra. So today we were talking in lawns. We were also talking about pastures. Darren, give us a couple of products you could use for dandelions. Well, in lawns, I really like Freelex, and that may not be labeled in lawns, but look for the active ingredient 240-choline. That would be one that will do a nice job in lawns. There, there are a lot of folks that will use other products, and, and there are plenty that, that will do okay. You generally have to use a stronger rate on a dandelion, and if you don't understand why, just pull one and see how big that root is. It's a huge root. It takes a good dose to kill that. Here at Ag PhD, we get lots of questions from foreign countries. I know this one is from a foreign country because there is a bunch of print here that I can't read. But what I can read, because we were talking about corn nitrogen rates recently on our television show, it says, how many kilograms of urea do we put out per hectare in a cornfield and do we spread manure uh, or sprinkle paper, which I don't even know what that is. Uh, so I, I, I would just say what we're after we were talking about on the ag phd fertilizer removal app so you can download that anywhere in the world and you can convert it over so we you can look at kilograms of nutrients and you can look at hectares and all these kind of things if you would like to but we always want to be really careful when we start talking about nitrogen in general because it's not just about well how much does my corn need but it's also about how much will my soil hold so we usually talk about 10 times the cation exchange capacity. That's the maximum your soil can hold at any one time. So as farmers, we have to be very careful and responsible with nitrogen because we don't want it leaching down and getting into anyone's groundwater. That's going to cause problems for a lot of people, and it's going to mean more regulation on all of us as farmers. So if you've got any soil tests you'd like us to take a look at, any more specific questions for, well, what's my yield, or this is my yield, how much do I put on, any of those kind of things, uh, we'd be more than happy to answer those. And then the last one I got here uh, from Mart, who says, can I use, and I, I I, don't know on the spelling on this, I'm guessing mesotrione in uh, corn post-emerge. So Mart, if I'm, if I'm if that's not the product we're talking about, let me know. This is part of the reason Darren and I usually use trade names, like Callisto is the name brand Mesotrione. Callisto is a lot easier to say, remember, and spell than Mesotrione is. But yes, that can be used post-emerging corn. All right, we hope you've enjoyed our show today, talking about lawn and pasture spraying and answering your questions. Before we go, I just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was running the controls again today. Thanks to everyone who uh, wrote in with questions, and thanks to our guests on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. <laughs>